we're kind of diving into the third week, or we're kind of the last week, we're wrapping it up today, of this series called Spiritual Practices for Everyday People. We decided to kick off the new year with just a desire to say, hey, I understand everybody, you know, kind of has usually those resolution kind of things at the beginning of the year. I want to get better at this. I want to do more of this. I want to, and that's that's great. Um, you know, as we make those uh, resolutions, that's awesome. A lot of times, Christians will have a spiritual version of that in terms of I want to do this. I'd like to grow in this. I'd like to experience more uh, of this. And so that's why we wanted to do this series, talking about the practices that we engage in every day. Just everyday people, not scholars, not professors, not pastors, not even priests, like just everyday Christians in our faith. And so here's the theme verse for this series. This is from 1 Timothy 4. This is Paul uh, talking to his disciple Timothy. If you explain these things to your brothers and sisters, Timothy, you will be a worthy servant of Christ Jesus, one who is nourished by the message of faith and the good teaching you have followed. Don't waste time arguing over godless ideas and old wives' tales, right? Instead, train yourself to be godly. Now, that's not a phrase we use very often in the, early, you know, in the modern church, but Paul was speaking very clearly to Timothy that there was this benefit to kind of thinking about training yourself in spiritual things, to be uh, godly. And he goes on to say physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better, promising benefits in this life, and in the life to come. He, he equates it to that same idea of, you know, going to the gym, you know, dieting a little bit, you know, doing things physically is a good thing. It's not a, it's not a bad thing, it's a good thing. But spiritual training, training spiritually, understanding the preparation isn't just better, it's better because it not only benefits you in the future for eternity, but it benefits you now. You get to experience the benefits of these things uh, now. And so, we introduced you to a book. This will be the last time I read this one to you, but the, last, the book we introduced you to is called Celebration of Discipline, The Path of Spiritual Growth. Richard Foster, there's a lot of great people that write great books on disciplines, but Richard Foster, we like this book. We like, I like the way he kind of talks about the disciplines and uh, as we've talked about in the last couple of weeks. So this is a good resource for you. We always want to give you good resources. Here's how he breaks up just the categories of kind of the spiritual disciplines in our life and how they're kind of interlocked and rely on each other. Uh, there's inward disciplines, right? Foundational things, reading your Bible, prayer, uh, studying, meditating, those kind of things. There are the expressions, which is like outward disciplines. So it's like you know, solitude, simplicity, serving, uh, kind of the things that we alone can do. Like people might see it, they might not in terms of the outward expression of some of those things. And then there's corporate, right? Things we do together as a collective. There's corporate um, disciplines, that are expressions of worship and celebration and thanksgiving and uh, giving and being a good steward and all those things are kind of things we do uh, together. I'm going to give you the two quotes that we've read last week and this week just to help remind us again why we love this, this book as a good resource for you, um, but kind of where it's taken us in our discussion so far. So last week, Pastor Chris talked a little bit about this idea that joy is the keynote of all the disciplines, not it wasn't supposed to be obligation or duty, right? It was supposed to be joy that drives our heart to engage in these disciplines or spiritual practices. The purpose of the disciplines is to liberate and liberation from the stifling slavery to self-interest and fear. The primary requirement is a longing after God. You don't have to, it's not your knowledge, it's not your position, it's not your class, 
It's not any of those things that sometimes split people and we think that kind of matter more. It's just a heart, a heart after God, a longing after God. And then I explained this the first week when we talked about the book. Um, I love this. And this is one of those things, you know, people that are smarter than me, I love when they can take very complex things and break it down for someone simple like me. I don't know if anybody else likes that, but I, I love that. And so he, he talks about this thing called... Um, um, uh, well, I have to figure out what it is. Oh, yeah, indirection. I was going to say indecision. That's not right. Indirection. Okay. He talks about this concept that I love when he talks about how the disciplines work. So let me read this. It's the process, right? This indirection describes the means whereby we participate in something we can do by direct effort, right? Which is the spiritual discipline. We can pray. We can read the Bible. We can give. We can serve. We can do these things. And it says, but in order to receive resources to do what we could never do by direct effort. I love the example he gives, loving our enemies, right? Like, I don't care how much you muster it up, that's going to be a very difficult thing for you to ever do in your own strength and your own power is to love the people who hate you, right? That, that's just not going to happen in your own strength. But he goes on to say, look, there's this benefit to the disciplines called indirection when you're engaging in the thing that you can do and God is pouring into you the resources so that you can engage in things that you could never do out of your own effort. But the effort, we, we know that's by the Holy Spirit who does that. Uh, one more reminder from Pastor Chris last week. He did a great job. Uh, I loved this, this, uh, this point last week. I want you to consider your seasons when you develop the rhythms. Because last week he talked a lot about what does this look like every day and every week and how you you know, work through these spiritual practices. And well, this was a great one. Like you've got to know that there's going to be seasons in your life where, that might highlight a few things. Like I've had seasons in my life that you know, there's more study involved, right? There's more study to have to kind of understand things. I've had times where that's been emphasis. I have seasons in my life where the rhythms of prayer, intentional prayer uh, was increased. I have seasons in my life where uh, so many things were happening that there were seasons where I had to develop rhythms of rest that might have been more intentional or even more uh, needed than some of the other times. And so there are, just allow the seasons that you're in because where you are is not a surprise to God. The season you're in is not a surprise to him. And there is, we tried to explain this last week, there's no one-size-fits-all method of growing in our faith, but use the seasons you're in and let that be a part of helping develop the rhythms that you have in, in, in your spiritual discipline. So here's the, here's the question we're wrestling at the end of the series, okay? How do we make these practices stick? Again, I don't know if there's anything like you, but a lot of people... You know, they'll, they'll get onto it in January, I'm going to read the Bible in a year, and I'm going to do the thing, and you were doing great till January 3rd, right? Like you were doing awesome, right? Or maybe you were getting up early and it lasted a few weeks, maybe you were doing this and it lasted a little while, I get it. But the reality is, is that some, it's sometimes very hard for us to stick with some of these disciplines or to let them stick in our lives. And I want to just kind of briefly talk today about how do we make them stick? How can they become part of what Chris even touched on last week, but we're going to dive into today? How can it be our lifestyle? How can it be part of our identity as followers of Christ, these disciplines, these practices? Well, I want to just remind everybody how we, how, why we struggle 
you know, where we are and why we, we struggle with it. So let's go ahead and turn. If you've got your uh, scripture card, uh, this is the, the second scripture here is in green highlight. It means we're going to read it together. And so I'd love for you to uh, turn to a, turn in your Bible to this passage, Genesis 3. If you don't have a Bible, there's Bibles out in the little breezeway area. We'd love to give you that. That's a free gift uh, for you. You can turn to it on your phone, like a, a Bible app of any sort. Um, I'm going to read out of the New Living Translation, uh, Genesis 3. Let me see here. Yep. And uh, read a few verses. This is after the uh, depiction of the creation. This is after Adam and Eve, and he's named everything, and Eve, and so forth and so on. This is after God has described all these things. And so here's Genesis recording for us uh, the first significant thing that happens with Adam and Eve uh, in the garden, uh, in, the ge- in the Genesis of time. Verse 1 says, The serpent was the shrewdest of all wild animals that the Lord God had made. And one day he asked the woman, the the serpent by the way, uh, Did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. God said, "You You must not eat it or even touch it or you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. Well, the woman was convinced. She saw the tree was beautiful, and its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit, and she ate it. And then she gave some to her husband, who was there with her, and he ate it too. And at that moment, their eyes were open, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed some fig leaves together to cover themselves. And when the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. And when the Lord God called out to the man, where are you? And he replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was, a, I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you you were naked? The Lord God asked. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? The man replied, yes, I did, Lord. I'm very, very sorry. No, that's not actually what he said. Hold on. Let me go back. Um, Verse 12. The man replied, it was the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit and I ate it. Then the Lord God asked the woman, what have you done? Well, it's the serpent deceived me, she replied, and that's why I ate it. If you continue to read on yourself, you'll, you'll read about the, the curse, if you will, in terms of the fall of man. He curses the serpent, he curses the ground, he curses the uh, man and woman, uh, you know, the toil of the earth, and by the sweat of your brow, um, she's going to have pain and labor and, and want to be over the man. And so there's all these things that come about as a consequence of this. And then he goes on to foreshadow Christ. He goes on to foreshadow uh, Jesus in terms of the enmity that would be between his seed, this seed, and, and God's seed. And so it's really amazing if you continue to read. But I want to just stop where we stop because I want us to just consider like how fast things just went off the rails, Okay, with the original sin. Okay, the original lie. I like to call this, this is the original lie that was believed at the genesis of time. And it's the same lie 
that has continued to drive humanity for the past 6,000 plus years is the same lie that was in the garden. Here it is. In order to have what we want, we need what we don't have. In order to have, to obtain, to achieve what I want, a.k.a. sometimes we will use the word what I need, well, then I need what I don't have. And so the lie that we believe is that, is that God is holding out on us. Or there's something more. And this drives humanity for the past 6,000 years to always be seeking more, to never be satisfied, to never be content, to always need more, to always add, to always feel like there's something missing. And then we look and we say, well, we, we, you know, I would love to do that, but I don't have it. Or I would love to experience this, but I don't have it. Like I, I want, I quote unquote even want the things that maybe God wants, but I don't have it. We need what we don't have, so we think there's a, a vacancy or an absence that's causing the problem. This was the original sin. Look how quickly it derailed, right? Like, man, it's, I, it, you just think about the fact that, you know, immediately they felt shame for the first time. I don't know what that felt like. I mean, I, I know what shame feels like. I'm sorry. But I don't know what that felt like to feel, for the first time ever to feel shame over their body, over their nakedness, over how, they, how the people would see them. And see, it's really interesting. The same thing that we see in here, I mean, it's interesting that this original lie, this very first sin, this lie that was believed, is the, we actually as Christians believe the same lie, but we twist it and we throw it back at God. Right? We, we, we blame God. Because, again, the things we want or we desire or we need, well, we don't have it yet. And so we go to God and be like, why don't we have it? You, don't, you want me to live this incredible life, but you haven't given me what I need. We need what we don't have, and so we blame God for it. This is, I mean, technically, this is just think about Adam's words. Like, why did you, what did you do? Why did you do it? Well, technically, God, it's kind of your fault, is what he said. If we want to point fingers, God, it's kind of your, I mean, you know, 50-50 maybe, but you gave her to me. That's what he said. And we continue to do that. We continue to blame God that the reason we, we maybe don't have or experience what we want to experience is because we need what we don't have yet. And then we blame God for it. So, I look at that and say, okay, this is, this is a reframing that's needed. And part of the, what the New Testament does is help us again remember the, 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 the curse of the genesis of our story and how Jesus came to answer all this for us. And that a lot of what Paul and Peter write are to help us understand the new understanding and the framing of the gospel and how it changes things for us. So today, I want to show that to you in 2 Peter. This is Peter's second letter to the Christians, to the church. And Peter uh, answers basically kind of the same thing we're talking about in this series, but answers it in such a way that, again, knows the church is dealing with something very, very similar. Here's how he starts the letter. He says, by his divine power, talking about God, God has given us, read those three words for me, everything we need. Interesting. So Peter's writing the church and says, hey, by the way, out of the glory of God, out of his divine power, because God is who he said he was, he has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We've received all of this by coming to know him and the one who called us to himself by the means of his marvelous glory and excellence. And he goes on to say, 
because of his glory and excellence, he's given us. He gave it. These great and precious promises, they are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and we get to escape the world's corruption caused by human, what, wants, desires. I'm not going to read the next few, few verses, but he goes on to say, you know, when we engage in these disciplines or when we continue to live out a life of godliness that God's called us to, we experience benefits, like we experience our faith growing, we experience endurance, we experience uh, moral behavior, like moral behavior, we experience love, we experience self-control. And then he says this in verse 7, or verse 8. He says, the more you grow like this, talking about all those things, growing in love, endurance, and like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. But he says, but those who fail to develop in this way are short-sighted or blind, forgetting that they've been cleansed from their old sins and their old life. So here's where I think the, the, the big answer to the question comes. How do we make these practices stick? How do we reframe the struggle that we all have in terms of feeling like we're constantly adding on things to our life. We're constantly having to add this discipline and add this discipline and get better at this and do this more. When, when Peter says to the church, God has given us everything we need. Let's just read that together because I know you want to say it with me. I know, I know you're feeling the freedom. You ready? Let's say it out loud. God has given us everything we need. Say it one more time. God has given us everything we need. This is the story of the gospel. Every time we think we have to do something to make ourselves right with God, we are reminded by the gospel over and over again, Jesus did it all. Jesus did everything that we couldn't do. And he has already given us everything that we need to live the life he's called us to live. And yet it's our What's, what's our response? Well, our response is to desire him, abide in him. Yes, grow in our knowledge and understanding of him. And those that do that, as he said, you know, they get, they're useful, right? They're, they're useful in the purposes that God has. But if you fail to develop, guys, when we fail to develop in this way, it's so short-sighted, we continue to act as if we don't know Jesus, we continue to act as if there is no hope guiding our lives. We continue to, to live in such a way when we feel like we have to add Bible reading to our already busy, hectic lives. We feel like we have to add generosity to our already busy. We have to add serving to the things we don't have. Like when we feel like we have to add these things on that God is putting a burden on us, we are so short-sighted and blind to the fact that we have been forgiven of our sins. We have been... We are no longer slaves to sin. Short-sighted meaning we're like, we're like Dory. And remember Nemo, Finding Nemo, Dory, where she's like eight seconds, like, hi, how are you, you know? We're so short-sighted in our remembering and our understanding of how much God has given and blessed us with. So this is, this is what we deal with. We're, we're looking at how do we make this stick? How do these practices become part of our life? Well, the biggest thing is understanding that God has already given you what you need to live these practices out, to engage in these things. And yet we continue to turn them back to God as if it's his fault that we don't have it. Because what we need or want 
or you know what we, you know, to get what we need or want, we, we don't have, there's something not there. So let's look, I'm going to give you five quick examples. And when I say quick, it's not going to be quick, but I'm going to give you five quick examples, all right, where we do this. And, we, and yet we've got to think about what we've already been given. So number one, it's his word. His word. The word of God, he says the word of God is going to go out like the rain to a mountain and as it goes down and feeds the rivers and streams and feeds the earth. He's like, the word of God goes out from me and it doesn't return void. That's what, that's what Isaiah says. The word of God is going to do that. So this is how powerful this really is. And yet, when's the last time you heard yourself or someone else say, right, um, I don't really know what God wants me to do. I don't really know what God wants me to, to think. I don't really know the attitude I'm supposed to have in this situation. I don't really know what I'm supposed to, to do or, or say in this situation. And sometimes I'll ask people, well, what do you think God is, is uh, saying to you? And they'll give me something. It usually sounds very much like what they're feeling anyway, often, because that's God always kind of echoes the, the heart initially. And then I'll say, cool, uh, where are you reading that in Scripture? Tell me, tell me what you're reading in the Bible that, that, that supports that. Oh, I don't, I don't know it that well. Okay, okay, cool. Well, what are you reading in God's Word that like helps you kind of create an argument for where you want to go or what you think you should be doing or how you think you should respond. So I'm looking at the fact that God has given us his word about what he thinks and how he feels and what we should be doing and not doing. And yet we continue as Christians to feel like God is distant and he's quiet because we don't know what he's thinking and we don't know what he wants us to do. Well, I'm in this situation, I don't know what to do, and it's this person and there's pain and they're all of this thing. Well, cool, what do you want to do? Ah, well, uh, let's go with what we know, okay? Uh, The Bible calls us to forgive and to love our enemies and to bless those that curse us and to turn the other cheek. And, and then we just sit there and go, oh, yeah, I'm not doing any of that. So what do you think God wants me to do? Everybody with me? Oh, I'm struggling. I just always seem to be struggling financially. Okay, I got you. Okay, well, what do you, what do you know to do? Like, are you tithing? Are you living a generous life? You know, Jesus said, don't collect treasures on earth, you know. Store the treasures in heaven that moth and rust won't. And so how are you doing with that? Yeah, I'm not doing any of that. Okay, 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 all right. Well, what about this? I'm having a trouble in this relationship, and me and this person, we've been seeing each other, and blah, 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 and, you know, it's just we have these huge fights and all this tension, and I'm like, okay, cool, awesome. Like, well, what do you, what do you know, you know? Are you, living, are you living pure? Are you living, no, we're pretending we're married and all the benefits of it. Okay, that's a horrible idea. Don't do that, right? Are you, are you keeping records of wrongs? That's what love says. Love doesn't keep any records of wrongs. Oh, no, I have a list. You know, okay, so, again, just, just think through this. Okay, good, and you know, you know that you don't go, you're not going to burn that list when you get married, by the way. That's going to keep trucking on. So, so I only say this to say so many times we're, we, are, we are sometimes just, quote, unquote, stumped and stuck 
and wanting to grow in a discipline, and we are not paying attention to the fact that he has already given us everything we need. I can promise you, you go searching for answers, you're going to find more than one. It's amazing what the Bible does with that. Here's how the writer of Hebrews says it. The word of God is alive and powerful. It's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword. It cuts between soul and spirit. Between the joint and the marrow, it exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes, and he is the one to whom we are accountable. This is, this is the main reason I believe people do not leverage the word of God that we've already been given is because it cuts through all the garbage we put in front of us. It cuts through all the, 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 the I'm thinking of all words I shouldn't say, garbage. I still got a filter. Okay, the garbage that we think fools everybody else. But the word of God slices right through it. And it exposes us, and none of us want to feel that. But it exposes us to him, and it reminds us when it exposes us to him that we are ultimately accountable to him. And so we'd rather not know. And yet, you have no choice, but when you're engaging in these spiritual disciplines, to want to know what God thinks about that, or what he wants to say about that, or what kind of attitude you should have about that, or how you should be living about that. He's already told you. God has given us everything we need. Quick, go to the next one. Time. 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 This, is, this plays into inward and outward uh, disciplines in our life. And, and how, many of us, how many of us have said this word? Don't beat yourself up over it. I just don't have enough time. Right? How many of us feel that way? We just don't have enough time. God, oh, I would love to do more of this. I would love to do this, but I just don't have enough time. God, if you could just, you know, automatically figure out what to do and give me more time. Now, here's what's funny. Time is the great equalizer among humanity, right? It is, because the answer to that question every single time, God's going to say, look, look at you and say, no. Well, God, I just need more time. Not getting any. Not going to get any. I gave you time from the creation, from Genesis. It's 24 hours in a day. It's how the day works. You're not going to get a, a minute less or a minute more. That Everybody gets it. 168 hours a week. I made six days for working. I made a seventh day for you to rest. I created rest for you. 52 weeks a year, that's what you get. Not a single person is going to get that prayer answered in this room. I need more time. I'm not being mean. God's just like, no. I'm not going to do it. Now, what do you do with that time that you've been given? Because, see, again, he's already given us everything we need. And I started thinking about the three W's. I don't know if you know what the three W's are, but I'm going to tell you. The three W's. I wonder if you considered the amount of time you spend wondering, worrying, or what ifing in your life. Okay, this is a lot of mental energy, by the way. Wondering about this, worrying about this, and what ifing about this. And if you consider that time alone cut from your life, wow, how much time would you have? How much time would you have? Here's the way Paul says it to the church in Philippi. 
he's not even talking about cutting it out. He just says, hey, don't worry about every, anything. Instead, meaning replace it, pray about it. Pray about everything. Not the wondering and the worrying and the whatever. Like, don't do that. Take that same amount of time. Turn it into prayer. Turn it into a spiritual practice that reaps and yields benefits for your life. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he's done. What is it going to do? Well, you're going to experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ. Meaning as you do it, as you engage in the practice, as you walk this out, you're supposed to be experiencing peace. Well, I'm not experiencing any peace. Okay. But I don't know how much time you're spending wondering, you know, wondering, worrying, and what ifing. And, and are you actually spending that in prayer? Because that's just Paul. Paul's just like, do the little switcheroo, you know? Now, I've got this really cool thing. I, I happen to be an Apple person, so on the iPhone, um, there's this thing called uh, screen time. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Uh, don't look it up. All right, so there's a thing called screen time. And it will tell you where you have spent time on your phone. And guess what? It's so much smarter than us, okay? Like it's, it, it cuts through all the excuses. Well, I use my phone for work, and I use the phone for... Blah, 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 blah. Sure you do, okay. No, it tells you, not when things were in the background or somewhere. No, no, it tells you how much you were actively on a specific app. That day, it'll even tell you the times you were on it. That's how smart it is. So if you ever want a sobering look at where your time goes, the next time you go to God and say, I don't have enough time, why don't you just read your screen time first and then go to God and tell him that you don't have any time to do what he's asked you to do. Now again, I don't say that to condemn. I say that to say there's ways in which we can see where our time is just wasted. But I think it's in understanding how our time gets wasted that actually can even turn the corner for us to begin to make benefits. And actually, again, like Paul says, instead of this, do this. Right? It's because most of the time we waste is not in chunks of time. It's not in days or weeks or afternoons. Because that's what we, let's be honest, that's what we pray for. Like, God, I just don't have the time. Please give me a job where I have all my afternoons off and I still get paid for 60 hours and I, you know, I can do this more. Like, like just give me that kind of, you know, like, we think it's going to be a big, big, giant thing. And the reality is, is, no, just like small little, small little wastes is a huge waste in the end. Small, right, disciplines, but you got to remember, done consistently every morning, a couple times a day. Done consistently is what actually leads to big results over time. So the same way that we oftentimes see time just wasted we can actually kind of revert that or actually twist that and turn it into something that's beneficial. It's not big, huge, you know, I need, I, need a, I need a solitude thing for nine hours and take a day off work. I mean, you might need one of those every once in a while. I get it. But that's not the answer, right? The answer is small disciplines over, consistently over time are going to reap those results that you need because God's given us all the same time. And he's given us everything we need already. Uh, resources. Let's go to resources. Well, I don't have 
I'd love to do that. I'd love, oh God, I'd love to, I'd love to be able to give to that missionary team. I'd love to be able to help with that local outreach. They're doing stuff for watchmen. They're going to collect some tents. And I'd love to be able to, I just, oh, I just don't have the, you know, I don't have it. And, and you know, God, but God, if you would just, if you would just make that raise work out, you know, if you would just help that sale get through and that promotion that I've been praying about, you know, if you could just help, help me. Help me help you, God. Help me help you, right? That's sometimes what we say to God. He's like, if I could just, if you would just do this, and, 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 and Jesus, through the parable, continues to challenge us. Again, kind of puts this all skate. Everybody's in the same boat. It's not whether or not we've been given. It's what are we doing with what we've been given. So he tells the parable of the talents, and I'm not going to read it all for you, but these, this is the key part of this. He goes on to talk about our resources, time, doesn't matter what it is, time, uh, t- mental energy, resources, finances. He says, king, the king of the kingdom of heaven. It's illustrated by the story of this man. He talks about the master and the king, goes on a long trip, and he calls all his servants together, is the way it says, <coughs> and he entrusts to them money, his money, while he's gone. He gives one five bags of silver and two, another one two, and one bag to another one. He says, dividing it up in proportion to their abilities, and then he leaves on his trip. And the point of the story was not the, uh, not the differences that he makes. He just says, look, everybody got something, but to one he gave five, and to one he gave two, and he went, hey, most of us in here are two and a half baggers, three baggers, maybe we're one bagger, I don't know. We all got something. And, and it had to do with what we would do with his resources. So it says later on, after a long time, the master returns from his trip, and he calls them to give an account for how they used his money. What'd you do with what I gave you? Servant to whom you entrusted the five bags of silver came forward, five more. Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest, and I have earned five more. And I love this. It says the master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been given, you've been faithful in handling this small amount, which I love that because, you know, he was given the most in the example we were given. He was given five bags. And I love the fact that the master goes, that was nothing. That was nothing. You've been so faithful with this tiny little bit. I'm going to make you faithful with more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. And the one who did two did the same thing. Problem is the one who got one thought it was unfair. And he blamed the master. He blamed the master for being cruel. He blamed the master for being unfair and knew that he would have an unfair expectation and response. So he did nothing with it. And the master curses the servant and casts him out. Takes what he has and gives it to someone else. And, and then he pulls out of the story to teach. He, t- he pulls out of the story to give a clear teaching to the disciples and those he's listening, that are listening at the time. Here's what he says. He pulls out of the story and says, to those who use well what they are given, even more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even with what little they have, will be taken away. For those who have and do nothing, what little bit they have will be taken away. I don't think Jesus meant this as a, as a way of fear-mongering or kind of cursing in this moment. I think he just went on to say, look, this is the reality of the system that I've created, which is that when you honor me with what you've been given, I, I bless that. When you don't, I don't. 
Here's how Paul said it in the church, because again, Paul was repeating the teachings of Jesus. Remember that a farmer who plants only a few seeds gets a small crop, but those who plant generously get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give. He doesn't want to give out of reluctancy or a response to pressure. God loves a person who's a cheerful giver. And he goes on to say, God, must, God will generously provide all that you need. Again, going back to it, you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. And this goes back to our definition of blessing. It's enough and plenty. Enough and plenty. That's always the way that God blesses, is enough and plenty. I'll give you a quick story kind of showing up in our life right now. Uh, my son, who's uh, 17 right now, um, he, uh, he wants to go to Kenya this year with us, with me, as our church is looking to, do, uh, to go to Kenya with the Kogoris Project. We've supported them for several years. Um, a matter of fact, I went several. I went uh, 2019, but I can't remember our first trip. Do you remember the first trip, Jason? How, 2011? Yeah, it would have been 2011. And Thomas was like going into kindergarten. He was like kindergarten age. Um, and he, ever since that moment, like he's wanted to go to Kenya. Like he's, he's kept all the things I brought home, like the Maasai machete and all these kind of things, you know, like he's, he's just always wanted to go. Now, I don't know about you. I don't know how you roll, but we don't roll this way. I don't vacation in Kenya, just to let you know. Like I don't, I don't do that, right? But, but for our mission trip, we go over there and partner with our missions. And, and I told him, I was like, one day you'll be able to do that. Well, this was the year. And we started talking about it last year. And he said, I want to go. I want to do it. Now, the reality is that, you know, it's going to cost more money. Actually, it's going to cost more money because of a lot of reasons, but inflation hits everybody, even mission trips. So, you know, all of our trips are going up a little bit, and this is an expensive trip. And I said, okay, buddy, that's fine. But I, we had the talk. I was like, this isn't just going to be you sending out a bunch of letters, which he probably will do. He ain't going to send a bunch of letters out to journey people, you know, to write the ticket for this. I was like, you've got to, you're going to have to work for this. You have to find, maybe find some new ways to create some income and, and do this. Now, and, and, and I say that to say, like, my son, even though he's 17, like, um, how do I say this the, the most diplomatic way ever? He is not, um, he's not good with money at all. At all, he's not good with money, okay? But here's the deal. He's young, okay? Let, let's, let's face it. How many of you were good with money at 17? Uh, you know, a small amount of you, right? Like, he's just not that great with it. He, as his mother and I would say, he does not make the decisions that we would make when it comes to spending his money, okay? But... And he, and he spends it a lot of times in things that I know are just wasted and so on and so on. And I try to hold my tongue because I'm, I'm, I'm trying to encourage him when I can and, you know, not beat him up over every single thing. But, you know, again, he's learning. That's, this is it. This is the time we have him as he learns to do this. But I love the fact that just a couple weeks ago, he, he without my prompting, he, you know, he texted me and his mom and was like, hey, take this huge chunk out of, my, out of my paycheck. I just got paid. Take this huge chunk out to go towards my deposit. And I was like, all right, will do. And then later on, he's like, yeah, I'm gonna have to, I know I have to do more, but I'll take another chunk out of the next paycheck. And, you know, he's, his sight is set. And, and just because I've lived this life and because I've seen it with so many people and so many of you, like, I, I look at it, and I go, okay, look, he doesn't have it all figured out. He's still not making amazing choices with the remainder of his money. I'll just be honest. But I know that God is going to honor that. Like, I know he is. I know he's going to honor every single dime that he chooses not to just store up and spend and waste here when he chooses to invest in something that who knows what God's going to do in his heart and life when he goes. And that just makes me proud as a dad. I want all my kids to do it, but I'm, never, I'm not going to escape my kids making dumb decisions with money, right? Like, like that's going to happen. We hope it's as little as possible. That's what parents are for. Little as possible. 
right? But he's going to have to learn some way, and I want him to learn not just the, the wise parts of managing his money, but what it looks like to invest in the kingdom, what it looks like to invest for eternity, what it looks like to do things God's way. Why? Because he's been given everything he needs to do exactly what God's called him to do. He makes X number of dollars an hour, you know, at his little job. He can only work so long because he's in school. And yet I have no doubt that he has everything that he needs to do exactly what God wants him to do. Uh, Last two, very quickly. I say quickly because we're going to talk more about this the next series, which is why I saved them kind of for the end. But the last two things, which go back again to this list, not just resources, but our influence and our circle of responsibility. This goes back to kind of that outward discipleship and that outward disciplines of, of discipling others. And so the, here's what, here's what uh, Peter says. Again, Peter to the church. You must, instead of living the way you were living, you must worship Christ as the Lord of God. And when someone asks you about your hope as a believer, be ready to explain it. Be ready to be able to share and tell them what it is. Do this in a gentle and respectful way, keeping your conscience clear. If people speak against you, they'll be ashamed when they see what good life you live because you belong to Christ. And the, re- the reality is this, and I, you guys already know this, I say this all the time, you don't have to go to Kenya to find a lost person. You don't have to go into downtown Charlotte to tent cities where they're hidden by trees and railroad tracks. You do not have to do that. You don't have, you don't have to go find you know, those lower income areas of Huntersville and Cornelius and more. Like that's, <laughs> show up at your next family gathering. I guarantee you there's probably a lost person there. Right? Show up to work. There's a lost person there. There's people who need the hope of Jesus. You have clubs, you have gyms, you have associations. Point is, God has already given you everything you need. You already have a circle of people that he's placed you in the middle of that you're responsible for to share the absolute hope of Christ. Well, I don't know I don't know how to share it. Okay, well, that's part of why Peter says, prepare, be prepared. You do have to do some of the work to prepare yourself. But the reality is, is this, is that number one, you're just called to live a life that others would be, they can't say anything bad about you because, you know, they know you belong to Jesus. And you're not supposed to share the reason that they are supposed to have hope. You're supposed to share the reason that you have hope. Isn't that different? You're not supposed to share the reason that they need hope. You're supposed to share the reason that you have absolute hope. You already have the influence. God's already given it to you. You have everything you need. Community. Again, we're going to talk about this in the next series. What we've been given in terms of the body of Christ. Here's uh, how Paul says it to the church in Colossians. He says, God chose you to be the holy people he loves. Talking about the church, you must clothe yourself with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Right? Make allowances for each other's faults. Forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all else, clothe yourself with love, which binds us together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ come from Christ's rule in your hearts. For members of one body, you're called to live in peace and always be thankful. Why does he give this huge list? It's to the church. Hey, you're supposed to be tenderhearted and mercy and, 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 and forgive and make allowances for each other's faults and so forth and so forth. Why does he do that? Because living in community is muddy and ugly sometimes. 
living with all you sinners, right? I mean Christians, sorry, saints, living with all you saints can get muddy. So he's calling the church. He's like, you've got to prepare yourself and, and clothe yourself in this because you're going to be doing life together. You're going to be encouraging one another. You're going to be challenging one another with the truth of the Word of God. You're going to be spurring one another on, sometimes rebuking one another. That's what we're called to do. You've already been given it, whether you engage it or not. I don't know. Whether you serve or not, whether you're in a group a uh, small group of people, whether you take a class, whether you engage uh, socially, I can't control any of that. That's up to you. But it doesn't mean that God hasn't given it to you. He's given you everything you need. Let's read it one more time together. You ready? God has given us everything we need. Let's read it like we believe it. Ready? God has given us everything we need. And yes, it takes consistency and accountability to be able to live this out. But I really do believe this could be a game changer for you. And instead of, again, feeling like all these disciplines are just, you know, I just, it's just being added on to your already chaotic, busy life. That when you really begin to think about the fact that God has already blessed you with it, it has a lot to do with what are you doing with it? What are you doing with his word? What are you doing with your time? What are you doing with his resources he's given you? What are you doing with the community he's given you? What are you doing with the influence and circle that you've been given? That changes everything. And it has the ability to, yeah, not that you're going to get it all perfect, but it has the ability for the disciplines to become a part of your life, and they will never, ever leave you. They will never not be a part of your walk in your everyday life. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you again for, well, just the way your word does challenge us. It doesn't let us, um, uh, that word exposes, <laughs> is so sobering that your word just gets in there and all the masks and all the things that we do to front and all the um, ego and pride and um, comparison or complaining or whatever it is that we put out front that people see, like, it just cuts through all of it. And it exposes our heart. And God, in that moment, you don't do that by your word to guilt us or shame us or condemn us. You do it to tear down what is bad so that your spirit can build up what is good. So that your spirit can begin to do the work you desire to do in us. That your spirit would do a work that continues to help us do all the things we can't do in our own efforts to forgive, to love those that are unlovable, to, to, to reach the, our, our co-workers with the message of hope, to do all the things that, God, we just in our own power, we feel powerless to do. God, it's by your spirit and, and the working of your word through us that you can and we, we can because of you. So God, I pray that's, that's what um, we leave with as we begin this year. 
engaging in these practices, engaging in the disciplines in our life, growing and learning and abiding in you that we would become useful to the purposes you have for us. We pray all that in your name, Jesus. Amen.